Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Door County, Wisconsin. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Twenty-one-year-old Alicia Brownfield was the kind of girl any mother would want their 21-year-old to be. She was a student at Western Illinois University, and by the fall semester of 2012, she was set to graduate with not one, but two degrees, one in forensic psychology and another in criminal justice. She had this bubbly, outgoing personality, which meant that when she made friends, she kept them. That includes her co-workers at the job that she had held since she was 16 years old. Seriously, how many 21-year-olds do you know that have held down the same job for half a decade? Zero. My current answer is actually zero. The summer of 2012 was similar in a lot of ways to every other summer break Alicia had had since high school. She spent time with her parents and two younger siblings and reunited with her work family at Home Depot where she had held that seasonal job in the garden center. She got to hang out outside, set up flower displays, and it was just the perfect setup. That only got better when, according to the show The Killer Beside Me, she got a promotion. Before school had let out that summer, Alicia had found out that she was pregnant. It wasn't planned, and her mom told The Killer Beside Me that it was pretty surprising because Alicia had always been responsible. The father of her baby wasn't interested in being in Alicia's life or the baby's life, so her family and friends became her go-to support system, her village, if you will. That new promotion she had just gotten came with better hours and maternity leave, so it couldn't have come at a better time. The only issue she had was her 36-year-old boss, Brian Cooper. To put it lightly, Brian was a piece of shit boss from hell who teetered between being infatuated with Alicia and making her life a living hell. Since the day she started working there, he clung to her. He'd flirt, make his feelings known, and whenever Alicia would politely turn him down, he'd lash out and then go right back to his efforts to try and win her over. And let me remind you, she started working there when she was 16 years old, and this guy was in his 30s. He'd even tell people at work that they were dating, when in fact they had never gone on a single date. This was the only job Alicia had ever really had, so she didn't have any work experience to compare this one to, and she was young. When you're 16, you're not exactly able to process that what you're experiencing is toxic, so Alicia did whatever she could to keep her head down without lighting any invisible fuses that might set Brian off. Unfortunately, in the summer of 2012, she had no choice but to tell him that she was pregnant. There was a lot of heavy lifting in the garden section, and she'd be limited in what she'd be able to do. She'd also need to take time off here and there to go to doctor's appointments. Judging by her friend's statement to the killer beside me, Alicia almost seemed more afraid to tell Brian about her pregnancy than she was her own parents. When it came time to confront Brian with the news of her pregnancy, just as predicted, he flew off the fucking handle a couple of times. Initially, he seemed pissed that she'd clearly had to have been with a man in order to get pregnant in the first place, and obviously that man was not him. He asked her who the father was, which was none of his business, but when she told him the father didn't want to be involved, he seemed to change his tune. Almost like he saw this as an opportunity to treat Alicia as a damsel in distress, and he could swoop in and be her white knight that takes care of her and the baby. And that's exactly what he offered to do. 
He told her he'd be there for her and the baby and even offered to drive her to and from doctor's appointments in the time off that she needed. But when she said her mom was going to be taking her, it set him right back off. He threw a massive toxic bitch fit in the middle of the garden center calling her a slut, a whore, and a bitch. He did this in front of customers and staff. He did this to a woman who was already working through the fact that the father of her child wanted nothing to do with her or the baby and the fact that in a few months she was going to be a single mother. Spoiler alert, he did not lose his fucking job. And Alicia didn't have many options when it came to finding another one. She'd worked hard for her promotion and was going to be getting paid time off when she had the baby. It wasn't like she had a partner who'd be providing food, clothing, or shelter. So she tried to keep her head down as much as she could to avoid the walking landmine that Brian was. Over the summer, Alicia found out that she was having a girl, which she had already decided to name Ava Lucille. Alicia and her mom, Sherry, bonded over the fact that her daughter was going to be having a daughter. Alicia was her mom's first daughter from a previous relationship, and their bond was unbreakable. Sherry had been a single mother prior to her second husband coming into the picture and welcoming Alicia in as his own. So basically, her mom was the perfect person for Alicia to confide in. Her mom knew the drill when it came to being a single mom to a baby girl, and their bond grew even stronger. They'd count down the days until the next doctor's appointment where they could hear little Ava's heartbeat or see her wiggling around on the ultrasound screen. They'd go shopping for little baby clothes and all the other baby necessities she needed. Baby Ava was showered with love since the second Alicia found out she was pregnant, and her mom and grandparents could not wait to hold her and give her all the love in the world that she deserved. While Alicia was preparing for parenthood and doing whatever she could to grin and bear another shift, Brian flip-flopped more than a drunk gymnast and throughout June and July, he danced between not letting her take breaks and scheduling her to work when she was supposed to be at a doctor's appointment to trying to get closer to her. At one point, he gave her a key to his home and started asking her to randomly go over there to let his dogs out. A weird ask from a guy who works at the same place she did, who made it clear that he values 0% of her. But he was her boss and she needed this job. Brian had threatened several times to take that away from her if she didn't do what he asked. So she did what she felt like she had to do in self-preservation mode. In August of 2012, Brian told Alicia his baby sister was getting married, that he was going to be walking her down the aisle, and he wanted Alicia to go with him as his date. At that point, she was almost seven months pregnant and very obviously showing, so who knows what he planned on telling his family. That he just brought this pregnant girl who is 15 years younger than him to his sister's wedding, and that the baby wasn't his? Who knows, but obviously Alicia declined the invitation, but not just because she didn't want to be around his psychotic sleazy ass, but because one of her best friends, Jessica, was getting married that same weekend. Unfortunately, Brian doesn't understand the word no, nor does he acknowledge that it's an entire sentence, so he followed her decline with threats. If Alicia wanted to keep her hours, or her job for that matter, she would ditch her friend's wedding and go with him to his sister's. Because she needed to provide for her daughter, she did what she had to do and told Brian she would go. 
According to the Crime Wire, Alicia's mom pleaded with her not to go. She'd had concerns about Brian since Alicia started working there when she was in high school and had even had a confrontation of her own with the shitbag. Up until the day it was time to leave, Sherry told her daughter that she'd hope she'd change her mind and stay home. But Alicia could just not lose this job. So she went, and she went far. According to the outlet, Alicia comforted her mom by telling her that she'd be staying at the same hotel as the wedding party, which seemed to ease a few of her concerns. At least there'd be other people around, and they weren't going to be staying at some side hotel where Brian could act however he wanted without people being there to stop him. Unfortunately, some court documents indicate that they did not wind up at the same hotel as the wedding party. Instead, they stayed at a beachfront hotel in Door County, Wisconsin, which was more than a five-hour drive from where they lived in northern Illinois. And please do not take beachfront as meaning some glamorous destination, because it was not. It was on the bay and looked more like apartments with balconies than anything else. The drive was long and clearly pretty miserable because True Crime Daily reports that as soon as they got to the hotel, she texted her mom and told her that they were driving right back because they'd gotten into a fight. Her mom was pretty surprised because Brian was supposed to be walking his sister down the aisle, but I'm sure she was also pretty relieved because anywhere but with that sorry excuse of a man would have been a better option. That text should have signaled the five or so hour countdown to her daughter coming home but something else happened. A few hours later, her mom got another text from Alicia saying they decided to stay and they'd be heading home in the morning as planned. I don't think anyone really knows what happened on that ride or after she told her mom she decided to stay, but I can only imagine that Brian unleashed hell on her for even suggesting they leave. Alicia told her mom that she didn't plan on so much as being friends with him once she got home from the hell on earth that he was putting her through. The wedding seemed to go off without a hitch. Brian walked his sister down the aisle in his gray suit while Alicia watched in a beautiful blue dress. A picture was actually taken of the two of them together, and looking at it, you'd never know that in just a few short hours, Alicia would be murdered. Brian drank and drank and drank that night. Alicia played the part he needed her to play, and at the first chance she got to leave, the two headed back to their room. Her mom told the killer beside me that before getting into bed and turning in for the night, Alicia called her mom to tell her that she could not wait to get home because Brian was crazy. After the call to her mom, Alicia fell asleep, but Brian did not. While her circadian rhythm was taking care of the waiting game until her morning escape, Brian was wide awake and losing his ever-loving shit. He wanted to be with Alicia. In his mind, she was his. He needed her to understand that. And with that fucked up mind of his, he started coming up with a plan. Drinking some more, Brian paced around the room with Alicia completely oblivious to what was going on. He walked from one side to the other, out to the balcony to smoke a cigarette, then back in to pace some more. He did that over and over as his sadistic mind tried to figure out what to do. Eventually, he got into his own bed, and when Alicia woke up for a minute, he decided to ask her if she'd hang out with him the next day. According to police interviews on True Crime Daily, he had some DVDs of a show he was really into at the time, and he wanted Alicia to watch them with him. Completely done with his shit, Alicia passed on the invite and reminded him that their friendship ends tomorrow. That is when Brian snapped. He jumped onto her bed, straddled her, and began strangling her. 
Alicia, going into full mama bear mode, fought back as hard as she could, biting him and doing everything in her power to get him off of her. She tried appealing to his humanity, which does not exist, and told him to think about the baby. But Brian is not capable of thinking about anyone but himself. Alicia was able to get out from under him, falling to the floor at almost seven months pregnant, but that didn't stop Brian. On the floor of that hotel room, Brian continued his attack and strangled Alicia until the lives of her and baby Ava were stolen. Few hours later, in the early morning hours of August 18th, a man in soaking wet clothes walked into a gas station and asked the attendant if he could use the phone. Not knowing what in the fuck else to do in that kind of situation, the attendant let him use the phone and he called 911. The wet man in the gas station was none other than Brian Cooper, and as calmly as he could, in the tone you would use to report that you found a wallet, he told the 911 operator, I'd like to report a murder, please. Her name was Alicia. He told the operator that he had killed her, and when asked if it was an accident or if he'd gotten angry, Brian very clearly stated it was intentional. The word intentional is going to be extremely significant in this case. He went on to tell the operator, I'm a good person besides what I did last night. Alicia's family is going to flip. Everyone is going to flip. And I think we can all agree here that Brian is a lot of things, and none of them can be described as a good person. Within minutes, police swarmed the gas station where that poor attendant was just trying to have a normal night and took Brian to the station. From everything I've seen, it doesn't even look like he attempted to put up a fight. They put him into an interrogation room and started trying to piece together exactly what happened and whether or not he was actually telling the truth. Because at that point, they knew he admitted to killing someone named Alicia, but no one other than him had reported it. It wasn't like anyone had stumbled upon a murder scene and called 911. All they had was his word, but unfortunately, they were about to get a lot more. Alone with the detective, Brian held back nothing, and in horrifyingly graphic detail, he confessed to every single thing he did to Alicia. While giving his gruesome play-by-play, another investigator headed to the hotel. Inside the room, the detective found Alicia lying on the floor in front of the bed. In crime scene photos from True Crime Daily, you can see that she had been covered with a brown blanket. According to the crime wire, the blanket was pulled up to her chest and her head was laying on a pillow. At first glance, nothing seemed to scream that a brutal double murder had just taken place, but as he got closer to examine her body, he noticed the scratches and bruising. It was almost like her body had been posed to look like she was resting. Back at the police station, Brian fed his fucked up fantasy to police, telling detectives that he and Alicia were kind of dating. He made sure to tell them that she was pregnant, but the baby wasn't his, something that would have been painfully obvious to tell when the blanket was removed from her body. He feigned care for Alicia by saying he wanted more from her, but was respecting her because of the pregnancy, which we all know is complete bullshit. He couldn't muster up so much as an ounce of respect for her, let alone her baby, and had just taken their lives on a hotel room floor, a hotel that he had essentially forced her to go to in order to keep her job. 
Detectives wanted to know the whole story, like what led up to the murder, and it was so much worse than anyone could have imagined. In her sleep, Alicia had no idea that the drunk and pacing menace in her life was secretly plotting how to harm her. According to True Crime Daily, he told detectives that he had considered tying her up. He actually more than just considered it because he distinctively recalled a black cord and a white cord that he saw poking out from underneath the hotel bed. He noted that they might have been either from a phone or a computer, but they had a plug on them. That's how real and vivid his recollection was. But as we know, he did not use either of those cords and instead used his weight and his hands. He told detectives that he didn't attack her out of anger. He attacked her because he was frustrated and hurt. Let that sink in. He was hurt and frustrated that after five years of torment, Alicia didn't want to watch DVDs and be his friend anymore. After five years of being degraded, humiliated, and made to work long hours, denied breaks, and scheduled over doctor's appointments, she finally drew a line in the sand, and because she set a boundary, he killed her for it. It's almost like he had planned on somehow winning her over by forcing her to go to this wedding with him, like he could magically change her mind. And when that didn't happen, murder was his only solution. Once Brian was on top of Alicia, he told detectives that she got scared and he got scared. Apparently, the act of committing double homicide scared him, but not enough to stop him from what he was doing. And I don't even know why he mentioned his own feelings here because he doesn't reserve the right to even a drop of sympathy for his feelings at this point. In Alicia's fear, she never gave up. She fought like hell for her life and the life of her baby, but in the end, evil won. This entire case comes down to a man not giving a fuck when a woman says no. And sidebar here, do fucking better. I'm so sick of this shit. Women are not property. They belong to no one. You're not owed any of their time or attention. If they want to be with you, good for you. But if they don't want to be with you, fuck right off and move along. Anyway, I wish I could tell you that the assault on Alicia ended there, that once she and Ava were lying on the floor of that ransacked hotel room, the life stolen from their eyes, that the horror ended, but it did not. Brian proceeded to remove her clothes and sexually assault her. He even went into detail about the amount of time it took, but it felt wrong to include those details or the way he said it, so we're just gonna leave that there. After what feels like a never-ending attack on Alicia, Brian claimed to have tried to kill himself several different ways, and frankly, I think he's full of crap, but here it is anyway. According to various sources combined, he said he tried to kill himself with a butter knife and then a corkscrew, he fell asleep in the tub, and when he woke up still alive, he says that he walked to a local park, got into a lake, and tried to swim out as deep as he could. However, he swam back. Brian saved his own life, but couldn't be bothered enough to not take the lives of Alicia and Ava. Eventually, he walked to the nearest gas station and called 911 to report what he had done. Following his interview with police, Brian was charged with two counts of first-degree intentional homicide and one count of third-degree sexual assault, but not before he admitted to having tied up a previous ex-girlfriend to get her to talk to him. True Crime Daily reports that that incident was never reported to police.
Officers in Illinois were given the gut-wrenching task of telling Alicia's parents what happened because they had no idea that any of this had happened at this point. They fully expected her to be coming home that day, but instead, all they got was a knock on the door from police. Her mom told True Crime Daily that the officer had tears in his own eyes when he told her the news. While her heart was breaking in slow motion, she thought she was going to hear that her daughter had gotten into some kind of terrible accident, but when she heard the word homicide, she couldn't wrap her brain around it. Your daughter being murdered isn't something you ever see coming, and it's certainly not something you can prepare for. As for Jessica, the friend whose wedding Alicia had hoped to attend that weekend, she told the killer beside me that she spent it processing the phone call telling her that her old boss Brian had killed one of her best friends, a memory that will coincide with her wedding for the rest of her life. Throughout the investigation, detectives learned that Brian was completely and utterly obsessed with Alicia to the point of installing hidden cameras. According to True Crime Daily, he'd installed one in his own home across from his toilet so he could watch Alicia when he asked her to come over and let his dogs out. He'd also installed one in the trash can in the bathroom of the hotel she was killed in and had recorded a video of her getting out of the shower. No matter what Alicia was doing, Brian found a way to watch her. Even though Brian confessed to his crimes to the 911 operator and to the police, this garbage sack of human trash pled not guilty to his charges. He claimed voluntary intoxication, which essentially argues that he was too drunk to know what he was doing. And it's absolutely insane that that defense even exists. Imagine a world where you could get drunk off of your ass and murder someone and be found not guilty because you were too hammered. That's asinine because even when you're found not guilty by reason of insanity, you're still placed into a facility to treat whatever kept you from knowing right from wrong at the time of your crime. But with voluntary intoxication, that doesn't exist. No one's checking him into rehab because he's not still drunk. It's like you can just claim you were blitzed on wine coolers and really, really sorry and have no legal consequences for your actions. Do better, justice system. Do better. Brian took his charges all the way to trial, which forced Alicia's parents to have to sit through his 911 call, his confession to police, look at crime scene photos, and hear in graphic detail what he did to Alicia's body after he killed her. According to the Crime Wire, Alicia's mom was told she couldn't wear anything into the courtroom that had Alicia's picture on it, so she and the rest of the family and Alicia's friends all wore the color purple instead. I think any normal person would assume that the jury would come to a conclusion pretty quickly about Brian's guilt, you know, because of his confessions, but that's not what happened. The jury found him guilty, but only on his sexual assault charge. Two out of the 12 jurors couldn't agree on the murder charges, so a mistrial was declared for those. That meant that Alicia's family would have to sit through yet another grueling trial of the horrifying details of their daughter and granddaughter's murder before anyone would hold Brian accountable. And even then, it wasn't guaranteed. This entire situation blows my mind and lights my ass on complete fire. Brian was not blackout drunk, nor would that be any justifiable excuse for what he did. He recounted every single detail of what he did to Alicia. He knew what he was doing, he knew it was wrong, and just like he told the dispatcher, it was intentional. Thankfully, Brian was eventually held accountable for his actions. 
At his second trial, the jury found him guilty of both charges of first-degree intentional homicide, and they did it in less than an hour. For that, he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Between Brian's first and second trials, Alicia's mother made it her personal mission to make sure no other family had to sit through the bullshit excuse of voluntary intoxication again. True Crime Daily reports that she got the defense removed in 32 states. With Brian in jail, Alicia's mom, Sherry, filed a wrongful death suit against Home Depot. The complaint alleged that Alicia wasn't the only woman Brian had harassed on the job. The last woman he'd been obsessed with was a recent high school graduate at the time named Jessica. The same Jessica whom Alicia had planned to attend the wedding of the weekend she was murdered. Brian had allegedly introduced Jessica as his girlfriend, would make comments about his genitals around her, and would even rub himself against her. The complaint states that Jessica complained to her team leader, who told her that she wasn't the first to make a complaint, adding that the team leader even felt uncomfortable working with Brian. Jessica wound up quitting her job at Home Depot after an outburst of Brian yelling and cussing at her. After Jessica left, Brian shifted his focus to Alicia. Court documents allege that at some point in his time at Home Depot, Brian was told he needed to take anger management classes. The documents indicate that he might have taken some of them, but at one point confronted his manager about it, which doesn't look like it went well because he was ordered to attend more anger management classes. Documents allege that following the order to take more anger management classes, no one followed up on whether or not he actually took them, and Brian retained his position as Alicia's boss. Initially, a judge ruled against Alicia's mom in the civil suit, but that ruling was later overturned. I wish I could tell you what ultimately happened with that lawsuit, but I couldn't find any updates since 2017. With her grief, Alicia's mom started the Purple Foundation in Alicia and Ava's honor. The Purple Foundation provides emotional and grief support to mothers of murdered children, which is a resource more valuable than I know how to put into words. I can't tell you how many mothers of murdered children I've spoken to who have felt helplessly alone, who have a team of love and support around them, but still feel like no one understands what they're going through because no one does. It's something impossible to understand if you haven't experienced it. I don't understand it and I pray I never will, but Alicia's mom does and she has used her heart-wrenching experience to help other mothers in the same soul-crushing position. The Purple Foundation also provides financial and emotional support to single mothers. They choose one child a year to provide for throughout that year. Absolutely none of what happened to Alicia and Ava will ever make any sense. Alicia was loved and valued by everyone around her, except the one man who everyone knew was trouble, but somehow managed to keep his position. Brian Cooper will spend the rest of his life in prison, and frankly, that still doesn't feel like enough. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Alicia's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. We go live regularly on TikTok to discuss all episodes and any other true crime cases on your mind. So follow me at the Heather Ashley and tap on the bell icon so you can be notified when we go live. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.
We're officially at the end of the episode, and it is time to share a review that made my whole entire day. This one is from Kirsten Dahl and says, Heather, the way you cover these cases shows your true passion for not only what you do for the victims of these tragedies, you truly are amazing. The way you leave your heart and soul on the table and the way you unapologetically call out the criminals is spot on. I can't imagine researching these cases to the extent that you do and not have it affect you. I can hear in your voice the true, raw, and authentic emotions that you have for these cases, and I absolutely respect you for not shying away from the tough cases, as those are just as, if more so, important. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for being you and sharing you with us. You are an amazing human. Love you. K. bye. Heart emoji. No, heart hand emoji. I love you guys. This is, you guys are so nice. This makes my day. When I say it makes my day, maybe I repeat it too much, but it really does. I appreciate you so much. I would love to tell you, actually, whatever. No, I wouldn't love to tell you that I can do this and and it not affect me. It does affect me. I think maybe I shouldn't do this job if it didn't affect me. All of this stuff matters. And I hope that we all leave these episodes wanting something to change so that this doesn't happen to someone else. You guys are amazing. You open your heart up to these victims. It's why I do this and I could not be more grateful. I love you guys. Okay, bye.